Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our theme today is the outrageous way Jesus measures spiritual maturity. I want to begin today before I launch into my topic by inviting you Uh, if this applies to you, to the School of Emotionally Healthy Leadership. It's set apart for pastors, leaders, denominational and movement leaders. Uh, And I lead it myself through Zoom. It's a two-semester spiritual formation journey of uh, two semesters and eight weeks and eight weeks each. And the goal is to equip you to have an experience of the material we talk about in this podcast and thus bring it to the people that you lead. You don't just read about it or listen to it. You actually live it and are able to impart it to those around you. Now, our mission at EH Discipleship is to radically renew the church by addressing the crisis of shallow discipleship and shallow leadership formation by training a new generation of pastors and leaders in in two things, monastic slowdown spirituality and emotional health for deep transformation for the sake of Jesus' mission in the world. So this course uh, actually is meant to help slow you down to be with Jesus in silence, stillness, scripture, practice Sabbath delight and rhythms, apply genogram, your family history, going back three to four generations on how it impacts your leadership as you look at your vulnerabilities and they become not liabilities, but actually gifts through which God's power might move. That you might be able to transform the leadership team that you lead in your ministry culture by mastering core skills and, uh, and build a deeply transformative discipleship leadership formation culture. So again, we have a few spaces left uh, we're going to begin in October, but again, it's for pastors and leaders hungry and eager to grow. Uh, and again, you have to apply. So just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership school. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership school. And you can see if this really makes sense for you. And again, we have satellite tables at this in this course that meet in Europe and the UK, as well as Asia, Australia, and New Zealand and Latin America. So Thank you so much. Uh, I pray it's a blessing for you. So with that, let's launch into today's podcast theme. And I want you to ponder uh, a scripture with me. It comes out of Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he says the following. He says, he or God, God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. I'll say it again. I want you to meditate on this and ponder it. I pray that you'll do what I've done over the previous few months and just let those words sink deep in my heart, especially the first phrase, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now, could you forgive, imagine with me for a moment, a person who murdered someone in your family, or imagine your whole family, your husband, your wife, children, mom, dad, siblings, And this actually happened uh, in Rwanda or Burundi and Burundi uh, in 1994, as many of you have heard or read about the uh, Rwandan genocide. But a a documentary was made about two Rwandan women who came face to face with the men who slaughtered their families in that 1994 genocide. And uh, it was a revenge that happened after a plane was shot down with the president of Rwanda. In over 100 days, uh, about 800,000 people were slaughtered in revenge. Hutu versus Tutsi, neighbors within churches. You know, it was it was a horrific uh, genocide. And finally, what happened after a number of years, and it was over, 
40 to 50,000 people that admitted committing murders were actually, that, and they actually were jailed, they were released by the government uh, into the same neighborhoods where they had committed some of these genocides. So you had victims and killers living in the same neighborhoods. Never before in history something like that happened. It's only a country of 9 to 10 million people. So imagine if a murderer who killed someone in your family or your entire family was released or to be released into your neighborhood. How would you feel and what would you do? Now, again, it's very complex. I recommend that documentary. It's an old documentary called As We Forgive. But it touches on the outrageous way that Jesus measures spiritual maturity. And uh, it's Jesus' invitation to an entirely new spiritual order, one that's actually difficult to comprehend for us on earth. It's so radically different than the way our world works. And I've heard said, and I've said it myself more than once over the years, it would be great to be a Christian if it wasn't for people, those who drive me crazy or irritate me or hurt me. But Jesus makes it very clear in the Gospels that his kingdom is not of this world, and that his application of true spirituality, true maturity, is actually loving our enemies uh, out of a place of surrender to the love of the Father, the sovereignty and glory of the Father, in this new community we're invited to live called the Church of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters from all over the earth. We are radically different. We're actually called to love our enemies. It's seen as the culmination of every spiritual practice that we engage in, whether it's worship or scripture or fellowship or confession, you name it. So today I want to, in a sense, do a devotional with you around two passages of scripture, one from the Sermon on the Mount uh, and the second from Corinthians. And I want you you to kind of ponder it, let them wash over you as I have uh, over these many months. And then I want to make a few applications for us going forward. Now, in Jesus, and if you read closely the Gospels, uh, you see it so clearly, the way he overturns the way the religious leaders, especially of his day, have been operating, as well as all the surrounding Greco-Roman culture as well. And he calls, in a sense, the essence can be summed up when he says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Now, in a sense, loving your enemies is the distinguishing mark of the new community that Jesus forms around him in the Gospels. And so, actually, I'm going to read to you a few verses uh, from Luke 6 and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And then he goes on, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Then he goes on, If anyone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't don't withhold your shirt. Then he goes, if you love those who love you, what credits that to you? Even sinners do that. And then he says three times, if you, you know, da-da-da, you know, only love those who love you three times, even sinners do that. But he says, but you love your enemies and do good to them, and then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. And then he gives this great verse, because he, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Love that. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Then he follows it, be merciful as your father is merciful. And he goes on to say, do not judge or you too will be judged. And and, and he's giving us an, an insight into God. I mean, he is God in the flesh and he's revealing the father to us who so loved the world that he's given his only son 
Uh, and so God sees the entire world and he loves the world and he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's what makes our God, God. And so this is a love he calls us to that's like the father. It's, a, it's grounded in the father. It's grounded in the character of God and it's not passive. It's actually proactive and it does good. It prays for those who are ungrateful and wicked. It actually blesses them. It offers one's cheek and coat. And in fact, it treats everyone as if you're there are our blood and blood family as close kin. Why? Why would we do such a thing like love our enemies and do good to them and pray for them and bless them? Because he says, because the Father, God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And then the way we act is actually rooted in who God is. Jesus redefines the whole world for us. And so we that's how we forgive people. Uh, or we pray for God for grace to forgive people, which, as you know, is very complex. We release people. So let me ask you, who are your enemies today? Who who, who would be the folks that are hard for you to love? Now, it can be, I, I, when I've had a disagreement with Jerry, and, we've, you know, we're, we're in, I'm sitting there stewing by myself, I, I ponder that verse, God is kind to the ungrateful. Now, Jerry's not wicked, but I feel like she, maybe she's not being grateful. I think God is kind and so I ask God for grace, but that that verse informs my even sorting out a conflict with my spouse Jerry. It goes to so it, it, who are your enemies? It could be your spouse, it could be a friend with whom you have a disagreement, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, it might be your extended family, someone there, it might be someone who's hurt you or someone you're avoiding right now, irritates you. It may be someone who's politically the very opposite of where you stand. And when you're with them, you just want to avoid them. You want to hate them. Or people are inviting you to hate people who are doctrinally in a very different place from where you are. A doctrine is maybe damaging some people. Uh, in Jesus' day, it was the rich, loving your enemies, could be rich, poor. I remember a fellow who was so committed to social justice. He'd given his whole life for the sake of the poor. And the problem is he, he ended up despising people who were not as committed as he was to the poor. Now, again... The world is full of massive divisions. That's been going on since the beginning of history. And we sure are living in a polarized environment today and pulled to basically join folks in hating or not liking other people. And again, just think of folks who've abused you through words or actions. And again, it, it cuts across countries, race, economic line, genders. You've got the big hurts and wounds. You've got the small ones who cut me off in traffic, who didn't say hi to me. The Mediterranean world of the Romans and the Greeks uh, of Jesus in the first century was there were profound divisions uh, between people's rich, poor, social classes. There was hierarchy uh, in the world of Jews in which, uh, you know, first century you know, Judaism, uh, there were those at the top and those at the bottom. Uh, those at the bottom were the unclean, the impure, the heretics, those not pure enough to be loved or invited to a dinner. And in fact, I have been, as I've said before, I've been in the Gospel of Luke for now a very long time, probably well over a year. And what is so striking over and over again, how Jesus just keeps crossing boundaries and loving those who are outside being lovable. He's loving those he's not supposed to love. He's 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 refuses to draw inside outside lines of who gets the love of the Father, who gets mercy. In fact, his love for enemies is extraordinary. And again, Jesus, God in the flesh, is merciful. 
and mercy just flowing out of him. He's revealing the Father. Uh, so whether it's to Samaritans, who are considered heretics, uh, he's loving lepers, he's touching them. It's the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. He's inviting them to banquets. They're not supposed to be there. It's the, it's the Roman centurions whom he's praising, having faith. It's tax collectors like Zacchaeus. The list goes on and on. But uh, he, does, he doesn't pull out swords to cut off someone's ear like Peter does when he gets arrested. Because that's the real world. You got to fight. You got to fight. That's that's politics. That's the world we live in today. But Jesus, no, no, no. Um, the way the kingdom advances is through this extraordinary thing called loving your enemies, being kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Anyone can be kind to the grateful. It's being kind to the ungrateful that makes us different. It's showing mercy when a person doesn't, we don't think they deserve mercy. And as, as Reinhold Niebuhr said years ago, uh, forgiveness is the final form of love. And we actually ask God for grace to let go. And I guess that's just, it's just not the way the world works. It's impossible. Or I like what Jesus said in Matthew 19, with human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And it's the way Jesus defines real spiritual maturity uh, in his new community around him. And here, Paul's writing to a church with a, a brilliant church, a zealous church, a large church, a talented church in Corinth with tremendous gifts and vision and talents and insights gifted. But Paul goes after them because you're lacking the one essential ingredient, he writes, and that is called this love, this agape, this love of enemies. And he rebukes them in 1 Corinthians 13, and he basically says this. He goes, you may have incredible gifts of tongues that that of angels, but if you don't have love, he goes, you have got nothing. You may have gifts of prophecy and revelation and insight and be brilliant, but you, if you lack this love of enemies, this, this, this mark of maturity, because you've got nothing. If you've got gifts of faith that actually can move mountains in people's lives, but you're lacking this love because you've got nothing. And Paul says, you can, you can sell out your body to the poor, even die for Christ, but if it's not marked by a love, that flows from God, God who loves the ungrateful and the wicked, goes, it's worth nothing. Because the issue, is, basically the issue here, he's saying, it's not even about spiritual maturity, it's about, it's about, you may not even be a Christian at all. That the great sign of the Spirit of God uh, in us, flowing in us, is not gifts or externals or power flowing through us, it is this thing called love. It is the infallible mark of the of Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now listen, Paul's into spiritual gifts. He calls us in chapter 14 of Corinthians to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But he's making the point that as just like in, in, in scripture, we see in the Old Testament, Balaam gets a revelation from God, but the New Testament says he's a wicked man. Saul's prophetic and anointed, he ends up in witchcraft. Judas healed the sick and drove demons out and preached. The power of Jesus flowed through him. But these gifts and power have nothing to do with spiritual maturity. That spiritual maturity for Paul is marked by love. God, who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. In other words, the evidence of maturity is love. And love is more miraculous than the miraculous. And so the signs for uh, in Scripture that we're off base or immature, things like we're irritable, we're unloving, we're, we're proud, we're offended easily, we're jealous, we're boastful, we're envious, we're self-absorbed or touchy, we're suspicious, we feel entitled, 
We're always looking at the worst in people. We're triggered easily. We fly off the handle. We, we, we tend to be judgmental or pushy. Jesus says, Paul says, that's an evidence of immaturity. But signs of maturity, of love for Paul are we're thankful, we're humble, we're meek, we're, we're, we're patient, we're gentle, we're tender and kind and soft and safe. We're, we're always looking for the best in people. We're not easily triggered. We're, we're approachable, we're hopeful, we're courageous. We're honest. Again, love is more miraculous than the miraculous. Now, this takes a supernatural operation of grace in the heart to become a person like Jesus who loves. Now, here's the problem. Like for me, my first 17 years as a Christian, uh, I was growing in knowledge and gifts and experience of being a Christian, but I was stuffing my anger. I was lying when I was hurt. I was way too busy, even for God. I didn't have time to actually be loving. I, was, I, I think in some ways I grew less loving uh, the more uh, my leadership gifts grew. Uh, I didn't do feelings. I didn't grieve my losses. I, and so a lot of compassion wasn't actually flowing out of me to people. Um, and my own wife didn't feel loved, although I loved her. And it was a, my emotional, healthy discipleship conversion was actually a conversion of, oh yes, gifts and power and impact of ministry is second to love that this is the outrageous way Jesus defines spiritual maturity. This is what we're after. And so that revelation changed my whole life and uh, years ago. And so the problem is this. We've got three big challenges uh, coming at us. One is we have a lot of bad habits. <clears throat> we grumble. We complain. We can be critical with our eyes or our heart. It's just so easy to be condescending or, or roll our eyes or complain. Why can't they just get it? Or just be judgmental. Now, Jesus says it could be murder in our heart towards people. And we call it sometimes discernment. You know, my Italian-American culture, we had this expression growing up and someone we didn't like or did something we didn't like, we'd say, he's dead to me. He's dead to me. And, uh, you know, living in New York for so many decades, and someone says hello to us on the street, we're like, what's your problem? And we just so often have so many more important things to do than actually this hard work of loving difficult people. But it's not just bad habits that are deeply ingrained in us. It's stuff from our family of origin and our culture uh, growing up. And as we've talked about earlier, that go, our, our sins and blessings going back three to four generations live inside of us. Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. And that negative thinking is passed on from generation to generation, that kind of blaming or criticalness, uh, etc. And so, you know, we, we raise children. We don't pay a lot of money for our children to learn to love and be soft uh, we pay money to get an education, to be a professional. In fact, I saw a big billboard recently, you know, go to this college and you'll get a, uh, a top ROI or return on investment. They'll make a lot of money. That's the value. And what's sad is so often in our culture, Western culture, you get the more, quote, successful you get by worldly uh, terms in terms of wealth and power and education. So often that feeling of superiority for often folks results in becoming a less loving person. So our culture so often dominate us. And I remember uh, being with pastors from different cultures where folks, for example, in a, in a conference we did for pastors many, many years ago in Malaysia, uh, over 530 of them, and, and we were talking about appreciations uh, and they just shared, we don't do appreciations because our families, our culture just doesn't do that. And uh, yet appreciations in scripture is very key to loving. Uh, but that it's not just our bad habits that we've got that we have to unlearn. It's not just our families of origin or our culture that we have to battle with, but we actually don't know how to love our enemies. It actually is a discipleship issue. And rarely 
have we disciple people in loving other people, especially our enemies? And yet this is how Jesus defines maturity. And, uh, <clears throat> and actually, it's easy to go through life, even as a Christian, without thinking about, am I growing in my ability to love others? And, and so, you see, as Paul says, if I don't have love, again, this being kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, Paul says, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's what a, in pagan worship, what they would do. The worship would come into a pagan temple and they clang, they, they bang the cymbals or the gongs to get the God's attention. And Paul says, unless you allow the grace and power and the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out in the way that you love, uh, those most difficult to love, we'll call them love your enemies, unless we get discipled and disciples in this area, we're just making a lot of noise in our churches. Uh, we're not that different. There is nothing more important in the world than learning to love our enemies. And again, that's a great theme there in the Sermon on the Mount. And as many scholars would say, that's the theme of all of his talk of relationships is love your enemies. That's what sets Christians apart from the rest of the world. It's greater and more important than the greatest natural abilities or the greatest learning or the greatest wealth and honor, greater than any king or emperor, greater than all the riches and magnificent the world has to offer. There's nothing to be compared with it. That's why in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, we're always talking about growing in loving union with Jesus, abiding with him in silence and scripture and rhythms of slowing down to be with him because it's out of this, all love flows from us. But then secondly, the big thrust uh, we put focus on here is skills. And so 28 years ago, Jerry and I was, we began this journey in emotional health. We began to learn and integrate and develop skills to train ourselves and others on how to love our enemies, how to love well. There's nothing more important to it. And so over these 28 years, we've developed uh Part two, we have a course called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course. Part one, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And part two is called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And it's got these eight skills which have been honed and pruned over these 28 years. There are many layers to it. They're simple to understand, difficult to do under pressure, but they're incredibly radical, life-changing. And it's core to what we call Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. It's a way to live out Jesus' command to love our enemies and to grow into spiritual maturity ourselves as well as those we lead. Let's remember, we're building countercultural, radically different communities in the name of Jesus who are in the world that we live markedly different. We resolve conflicts differently. We speak differently. We listen differently. We clarify expectations differently. We are kind to those who are ungrateful. So I'm going to invite you uh, to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview and check out for free the, uh, one, the first session of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships part of the course. Uh, again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview and it'll give you a taste of what I'm talking about with these skills. Again, they're incredibly powerful and life transforming for all of us and every culture. They've been pruned and honed around the world over the years uh, and have transformed 
thousands at this point of communities, churches, and tens of thousands of individuals, uh, single and married alike. So I encourage you to check that out. Brothers Karamazov, written by Dostoevsky, is one, is one of, his, I think, his greatest novel. And he writes about how love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. And he writes about a wealthy woman who asks an elderly monk how she can know if God exists. And he tells her the only explanation that can achieve this is the practice of active love. She then confesses that sometimes she dreams about a life of loving service to others. And at times she thinks that maybe she'll become a monk. She'll live in holy poverty and serve the poor in the humblest way. But then it crosses her mind how ungrateful some of the people would be that she would serve. They would probably complain that the soup she served wasn't hot enough, or the bread wasn't fresh enough, or the bed was too hard. Then she confesses she couldn't bear such ingratitude. So her dreams about serving others vanishes. And once again, she finds herself wondering if there is a God. To this, the wise monk responds, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. And again, what sets us apart from every other community or group on the face of the earth is this love of Jesus flowing through us. And so in the emotionally healthy relationships uh, segment of the discipleship course, you learn things like people who listen and love the best are, and deepest are those who have found their own voice. And the degree to which we love and care for ourselves is really the degree to which we love and care for others. And again, we're getting into complex, large discipleship here of what does it look like to love our enemies and be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked and to be merciful as our God is merciful. There are so many nuances and complexities to it. So Jerry and I, for the next few podcasts, are going to be unpacking each of the skills from the Emotionally Healthy Relationship segment of that course. And let me invite you to memorize uh, with me Luke chapter 6, 35 and 36. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. As Mother Teresa said, we do no great things, only small things with great that love really is more miraculous than what we consider miraculous. So let me invite you to experience practically what I'm talking about here of this work of how we actually learn and grow and mature into people who actually love our enemies and folks who are unkind to us back. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. It's free and it'll be a great taste for you to go through one of those sessions and uh, look at the workbook and get a feel for what we're talking about here in this radical adventure of becoming the most mature lovers on the face of the earth. It will change your life personally. It'll change your family. It'll change your leadership. It'll change your the community that you lead. It'll change your missional impact into the world. I, I say that with decades of experience behind it. And as I close out this podcast, I want to extend an invitation to you as we at EH Discipleship have grown beyond anything we ever imagined possible. And I want to close by inviting you to financially partner with us, allowing us to actually meet the needs of the many leaders from around the world uh, who are asking us for resources and help. So I want to invite you to financially partner with us. 
Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash give so you can pay it forward and we can help equip, equip the next generation of pastors and leaders around the world. That's at emotionallyhealthy.org slash give. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It has been such a joy to be with you today and I look forward to seeing you soon. Blessings. Blessings.